as we were making that confession right there, something became very clear to me. Because you can feel uh, that you guys are here and you have come expecting tonight. And I will tell you, you know as well as I do, that that makes a difference. When you come to the house of God and you're expecting, it makes a difference. Not only expecting to receive from the Lord, but coming into the house of God asking that question, Lord, what is it that I can sow tonight? Lord, what is it that I can give of myself and my gift to your people tonight? And so it makes a difference when you come expecting. Here's what I want to do. I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12 tonight. And I want to do a quick overview because we're going to jump in towards the tail end of Hebrews. In fact, there was only one chapter left, Hebrews 13, before this book of Hebrews is concluded. And so this author, who is unknown to us, you know, there's so many different people that think of maybe Paul wrote it, it's part of his letters, or, you know, maybe Apollos, and it doesn't really matter who the author is, the content is what we're looking for. And so as we look at this book of Hebrews, I want to kind of paint a picture for you tonight, because the book of Hebrews was written to Jews who had taking that step to become followers of Christ. They said, you know what? We have heard this good news about Messiah. We believe that Jesus is Messiah. And now we are going to become followers of Christ. And so what's happened is they're expecting Jesus to return at any moment. We have to get our heads into the way that things operated in the time of our first century brothers and sisters. They lived with an expectancy daily, momentary. Think about it. You and I read it, and we have foreknowledge, and we can look back and we can see it's been 2,000 plus years. But Jesus looked them in the face and said, you don't know the day, and you don't know the hour, but I will come like a thief in the night. And so they lived with an end anticipation that Jesus could return at any moment. And so these Jews are, who have now become Christians, they're now starting to beget, become very weary because Jesus hasn't yet returned and they are suffering immense persecution. And we all know the story that God spreads out his church globally through the persecution that these Jews, these Christian Jews are now suffering. And so the writer of this book picks up the pen and says, I've got a right to you to hold on and not quit. And all of Hebrews is about the fulfillment and in 11 and in hebrews chapter 11 the author begins to go through the heroes of the faith and how they did not even see the promise of god fulfilled but they died in faith and so he comes now this writer comes now to hebrews chapter 12 and he brings it all to this turning point he talked in hebrews chapter 11 about abraham about moses about noah about ruth about these great heroes of the faith men and women. He talks about these amazing heroes of the faith and then he brings it all to a head in Hebrews chapter 12 and he talks about Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith that we have. And he says the way that we endure through hardship when we want to run, the way that we endure another day when we don't see Jesus return is to look to Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith because he, for the joy that was set before him, pleasing the Father and gaining us, he endured the cross despised its shame, and because of that, today he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And not only that, but you read the scriptures, and God says that his son so well pleased him that he has given him the name that is above every other name. And the thing is, we got to get that picture of ourselves because we're right there in Christ. 
We are right there in him. And so this writer is picking up the pen to not only write to our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago, but to remind us right here in the 21st century, when nothing seems like it's going right, when it looks like more people are headed to hell than are headed to heaven, when our own world is filled with chaos, our own lives are filled with chaos, our own households are filled with chaos. He's writing to say, keep the faith. There is a promise of hope. There is a reward that is coming. And don't look, as Paul says, don't look at the things that are seen because they're only temporary, but rather the things that are unseen because they are eternal. And Paul goes on to say, we haven't even, it hasn't even been revealed what we shall be. It hasn't even been revealed. And so we have to grab hold to the scriptures and grab hold to that understanding that he who began a good work in you, he is faithful to complete it. He is able to complete it. He who started the work. Those are the 30 people that grew up in the church in the 90s. <laughs> it just tested the church right there. Everyone else was like, Where, where's this song? 1996, that's where it is. Oh, God has a sense of humor. So we're going to pick up at Hebrews chapter 12. I say all that as, as an overview to get us to Hebrews chapter 12, where, where the writer now points to Jesus. But he not only points to Jesus, he's going to give us some pretty hard information Tonight we're going to focus on one thing in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to do a quick read through 15 passages, and then we're going to focus on one thing. Tonight we're going to focus on the root of bitterness. The root of bitterness. And here's the reason why we're going to focus on the root of bitterness. Because your root will determine your fruit. Your root will determine your fruit. So let's study this out. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, having gone through all these heroes of the faith, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of heroes of the faith, these witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which arguably and honestly easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How are we going to do this now? Here we go. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter. That means the originator and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, it almost looks like the writer jumps ship here. It almost looks like he jumps ship where we're about to read. I stopped intentionally. It almost looks like he's going to change gears, but I want you to keep in mind everything we just said. He's writing, the author, I'm assuming is a he, he's writing to a group of people who have made Jesus their Lord, but they're beginning to waver and they're beginning to think about abandoning this newfound Christian faith, okay? So we have to keep that in our mind. He paints the picture of all these people who have walked out these years. He paints the picture of Jesus who endured the cross. 
And now he's going to talk about the discipline of God. But I want you to follow me here in verse 3. For consider him, that is Jesus, him, capital H, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And here's the reason why. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, we find this in the book of Proverbs, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor to be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chases and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, in verse 7, if you endure chastening... All of the parents, you know, we do this, right? And I know it, and I'm going to laugh because when, when, you're, when you're raising your child and you're disciplining them and you're administering the discipline, you're administering the rod of correction, you look at them in the face and you tell them with all sincerity two things. Number one, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And the kid says, where's your head? How is that even possible? And the second thing, that we tell them is you'll understand this when you get older. You may not understand now, but you'll understand when you get older. And so we look at this child and we're expecting them to understand, but we have to deal with that discipline. And in verse 7, he says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. And we look at these children, we tell them what we really want is for you to learn to listen and to follow and to obey. So I have to administer This, although it seems painful, actually because I love you. I love you. And most kids will turn and say, no, you don't. If you loved me, you wouldn't hurt me. And then you have to go through and systematically explain through Scripture. (laughs) Systematically from the beginning of Scripture all the way when Cain kills Abel. And God says, Cain, don't you understand if you just do what's right, you'll be accepted. You start in Genesis and then you're over with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And then you're over in the Proverbs and then you bring it all the way. And you talk to your children they're now falling asleep. And now you have to wake them up to administer the discipline. But we want them to understand I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this because I love you. But here's the problem. We live in an abusive world. We live in an abusive world. And so people have used that phrase love or they haven't even used the phrase in term love. And they've administered, not even discipline, because discipline is never punitive. It is always corrective. Think about this. This is going to be really important for what we're about to study. Discipline is never punitive. In other words, I'm punishing you because of what you did. I'm hurting you. I'm going to inflict pain on you for what you did. It is always corrective. And we have to have a heart change sometimes because we live in an abusive world. And we have to bring that now to our children. And here's the reason it's so important. Because we're looking to God now. And we get to a scripture and it says that God will chasten you. He will scourge you. We'll talk about that. You've been at church long enough. You know what that means. He will scourge you. But if we can get to the place where we understand that it's coming out of love. It's coming out of love to produce something that is greater. It's what's intended to be. It's part of the molding process in the development of the child. And so we have to take that picture because all of us had parents, every one of us in this room, whether they're still alive or not. If you're living, you had a parent. So you had some type of interaction with them on discipline. And guess what? You take that into your relationship with God. 
And we'll talk a little bit further about that tonight, but we have to understand that God disciplines out of love. I'm going to move on from there, okay? God deals, verse 7, with you as sons if you receive and endure the chastening. For what son is there in whom the father does not chasten? That is discipline. But if you are without chasing, chastening, of which many are partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. In other words, if you're going through correction, it's because God loves you, not because he hates you. Okay, we've got to let that sink in. If I'm going through a hard time, God could be using this correction to mold me into who he wants me to be. We're going to keep reading. Verse 9. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more be readily subjected to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he who is God for our profit that we may be partakers of our holiness. We're not going to park there because we need to keep moving. Now, no discipline or correction chastening seems to be joyful at the present time, but it's rather painful. Everybody agrees. The little kid agrees. We still agree. Nevertheless, afterward, everyone say afterward. It yields the peaceable fruit. Circle that word, fruit. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Think about this. The author is talking about enduring in the faith. He's talking about the hardship that these people are suffering in their present time being persecuted. And he's getting them to realize that while these people, while these emperors, while these rulers are murdering you and persecuting you, God can actually use that and turn that not only for his good, but so that you become more like him. And we don't like that. We don't like that. But we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. We have to keep in mind, we have a heavenly goal here. We have something we're trying to achieve here. And honoring God and following him and obeying him is the only way to get there. So we keep reading here. And now looks like the author changes position again and says, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. He's talking about strengthening those weak areas and make straight paths for your feet so that what is, so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people. Again, this is an issue with people oppressing them, uh, persecuting them, and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay, here is our main focus for tonight. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. I want to park and focus our study tonight on this root of bitterness. Why? Because we just read two interesting words here. In verse 11, we read the word fruit. In verse 15, we read the word root. In the south, they say root, just like they say roof. It's a roof and it's a root. Ooh, double O, root. It's a root of bitterness, okay? So it's a root of bitterness. Now, I want to do a little experimentation today because we can look at this and we can kind of say, yeah, okay, you know what? I make sure that there's no bitterness in my life and I'm good and praise the Lord, I'm going to move forward. Well, let's just take a little examination. I'm going to put you under the microscope tonight. I'm not going to look at the microscope. You're going to look at the microscope. I'll look at me. You look at you. Everyone will be happy. Okay? Let's do a little inventory tonight. Rick Renner, who is a worldwide preacher, evangelist, teacher, church planter, a phenomenal man of God, he has uh, what I like to call a bitterness test. 
okay? Because what we're looking at is we need to make sure in this process of becoming more holy and becoming more like God, we need to make sure that if there's a root of bitterness, we deal with it. Because it's going to determine the fruit that we can produce in our lives personally and for the kingdom of God. Because no man is an island unto himself. Everything we do touches other people. So we look at this here. Here's the bitterness test. You know you're bitter if you have a grudge against someone that gnaws at you all the time. You know you're bitter if every time you see that person, you feel something sharp and ugly on the inside. Okay, now their face is starting to come into view. (laughs) You know it, don't lie. You're under the microscope. You know you're bitter if you hear about that person being blessed and you wonder how God could possibly bless a person like that after what they've done to you. Okay, now you're actually starting to get anxious. Now it's rising up and you're thinking, oh my goodness. Okay, I don't see you. You're under your own microscope, okay? It's you and God now. I got my own, okay? All right? You know your bitter if negative thoughts consume you and you see yourself retaliating all right all right now if some of you pass that test some of you are like man i am just good i don't have any of that in me i have a test that goes a little bit further than rick renner's test okay so maybe you escaped that test but here's a different one you have imaginary conversations in your head with someone. It's imaginary conversations that play. Okay, you feel the need to slander, which means to talk bad about that person to other people. Okay, that's fine. You replay a conversation over, or you replay an experience over and over in your mind. You think about what you wish you would have said. You're happy when someone fails. You're angry when you hear that particular person's name. And finally, you can't behave naturally around that person. So just take some stock, take some inventory, keep your tomatoes and rocks to yourself. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. I don't want you to see mine. I already looked at mine earlier, okay? So here's the thing. We have to take a look at our heart because all that does, it doesn't tell us anything we don't know. It helps us identify the problem. Okay? So we have to look at this because I'm, I'm willing to believe. You came home from work. You rushed through your dinner. You worked to get you and maybe a number of other people here because you believe that you want to do God's best for your life. So do I. So if we want to do that, we have to submit to this painful process of discovering what the Lord has for us because If we clean out the root of bitterness, we will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And God will be glorified in us and through us. So maybe you're thinking, okay, I've got this root of bitterness. You know as well as I do, this is what we do. We work with willpower. We wake up in the next morning. We meditate on our scripture. We will ourselves to not be bitter towards this person. That's what we're doing. 
We will ourselves. So, okay, I'm, and, and then the, you get in the office, and all of a sudden you see their face. Or you come home, and you see their face. I don't know where your issue is. <laughs> I don't know. But you get to that place, right, with that person that's in your head right now, and you all of a sudden start to feel like, oh, my God, this is a lot more difficult than I anticipated. You're like, what am I going to do? Okay? And, and we realize very quickly that our willing ourselves to do the right thing is not working. And so we're crying out to Jesus and we're praying to Jesus. But here's the thing. You know what we really need to do? We need to take an axe to the root of the tree. And we need to cut that thing down and that thing out. It is the only way to deal with a root of bitterness. You got to attack it because you're sick of it. You got to get so sick of that poison that's coming out of you in fruit and leaves that you have to come after it with everything that you have. And if the big one wasn't enough, my man brought the hatchet. So we're just going to go at it with everything that we got and we're going to work on it and we're going to work on it until it's rooted out. We have to do that with the Lord. We got to come at it with everything. David brought those axes in for me tonight. He's like, thank God nobody was here when I brought them in. I don't think this is a security person in the room. This is great. I didn't tell anyone I was doing this. So they'd probably be running down the stage, you know. We have to get so sick of that bitterness that's inside of us that we're willing to attack it. We're not willing to appease it. We're not willing to give in to it anymore. And you know what God does to help us with that? He surrounds us with people. Because a lot of times, you can't see your own bitterness. And you need somebody to help you. You need somebody to point it out because they love you. And say, you are really full of bitterness and you need to take the axe to that root. You know, John the Baptist, he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's calling them a brood of vipers in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. In Matthew chapter 3, and he's telling them, you have totally missed the kingdom of God. And he said, but now an axe has been laid to the root. In other words, God's going to cut down everything that you think you know. And he's going to build up the kingdom of God from the root of Jesus. He's going to do it. So we have to come in line with the Holy Spirit and be willing to pull out the bloody bludgeoning tools to get that root out. So we're going to look at two things tonight in the time we have left. Number one, how do you deal with a root right now that you have? Because you have maybe some fruit that's being produced, maybe some leaves that are beginning to branch. How do we deal with our current bitterness? We're going to first, we're going to attack it. We're going to cut it down. We're going to talk about how to do that. And the final thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to prevent future bitterness. And we'll get to that in a minute. But as we look at rooting this out and cutting it down, how many of you have ever done landscaping beyond cutting the grass? Okay, I'm talking, you get in there and you start ripping up shrubs. Okay, ripping up trees. Okay, so as a young man, my favorite thing to do, my dad taught me, my parents are always looking for a way to get me to do something because I didn't know what to do with myself. So anything that they could get me to do, they're just like, here's the lawnmower, Kurt. I was 11 years old. Here's the lawnmower. Dad showed me how to use it. I was out there and it was my dream. I cut the grass. Also, I start cutting the grass. I love landscaping. Well, I turn 18 years old and I'm like, I hate all my parents' shrubs. I don't like any of them. So without permission... I just decide, I'm just going to rip them all up. 
I'm just going to rip them all up. I, I hate them all. They're disgusting. So we had a couple that were alive in the front. I let those live. But the ones that, you know, they're really dying. And then the ones that poke you every time you go by. So I realized, you know, I'm 18. I'm strong. Okay. I've been working out. I've been playing sports. I'm strong. And all of a sudden I start pulling and I'm realizing, oh, okay. I just need to, I need to pull a little bit more and pulling, pulling. And I have to get some leverage on it. And guess what? It's not moving. And you know what we have to do? We have to begin to dig a well, dig a well around that shrub. We got to get it deep enough so its roots are exposed. Okay, then we got to get the shovel, maybe even the hatchet. And we got to start just whacking at some of those roots. And then we find this big fat root. It's called the taproot. And man, we go at that thing with everything. Don't worry. We go at that thing with everything, with everything that we got. Then we pull out our shovel and we just go, and we get right underneath that thing. And now we grab it by its stump and we rip it out. And we feel like we just conquered the world. And we say, that's right. You ain't got nothing on me. But see, we get it when it comes to landscaping. We have to have that same vigilance when it comes to our own heart. When we notice that there's some thorns there, sometimes we're just walking by pruning the thorns. Sometimes we're just walking by like, oh, that hurt. We just clip that off right there. Don't, don't come back again. You can't clip it. At that part, if you're going to get rid of it, you got to root it out. You got to go down to the root. And guess what? There's only a number of ways to do that. There's really only a couple of ways. And you can't do it alone. Here's the thing. I believe the more I read the scriptures, as we know, no man is an island. God did not design us to deal with our hurts and our wounds and our pains alone. That is why we are surrounded by people. And we have the notion and the mentality that if it's me and Jesus, we can work this whole thing out. But that poison is leaking over and bubbling over onto almost everybody that we touch. And it gets to the place where we can't control it anymore. And you've got to have good people around you that can say, you know what? I was talking to my dad one day on the phone. This actually happened. And he said, you know what, Kurt? There's definitely some unforgiveness there. You're going to have to deal with that. I understand you're not ready right now, but you're going to have to deal with that. And I knew in that moment I wasn't offended. I wasn't hurt. I came to the reality that you're right. If I truly want to bear the peaceable fruit of righteousness, I got to lay the axe to that root of bitterness. And I got to rip it up. But guess what? It's not something we're called to do alone. You know, the scripture tells us in a number of places, but the scripture specifically says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Now, we have really recoiled in the 21st century. We have really pulled back because everybody in this room has been wounded and everybody has shared something that's gone beyond the person they wanted it to. And you know what? We have to really mature ourselves. We have to be willing You know, they say whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Why not whatever happens in the church or with the church stays with the church? Why not whatever happens in the body of Christ stays with the body of Christ? You reveal a weakness and your brother or sister is there to pick you up rather than kick you down. Is that not who we're supposed to be? So we have to do this with people. 
John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, and now the axe has been laid to the roots of the trees. You know, there's a really disgusting example I, I think I will just share with you just for fun. I gave you the clean example about, uh, about the shrubs. But, you know, if, if, if you've ever dealt with a wart, a wart, specifically a planter's wart, Okay, you don't, you know, don't give yourself away. It's okay. I mean, you know, it happens to the best of us. But if you've ever deal, dealt with that, that war, you know, uh, sometimes you can, you know, okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, I, I was young and, and I, I didn't want to reveal that I had a planter's wart on my foot. And so I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get rid of it myself. You know? Yeah. You're, you know, a, n- a number of you in here are like that. You know, like, yeah, you're your own doctor. So I, I realize I'm going to get rid of this myself. So I just find a way to do it. I muster up the strength. Please don't do this. I'm just being real. I muster up the strength. But you know what I realized when I was dealing with that is that it wasn't on the first layer. It wasn't on the second layer. If you really want to deal with it, you have to go all the way in. I mean, they have chemicals. Those are the smart people that go to school and study. This is how you burn it off. But you have to go all the way in, and guess what? It's filled with roots. Roots, and it's got to be rooted out. Sorry, that was the disgusting example, but it's the same thing. You know, sometimes we have to get to that place where we're willing to look at it for what it is, and that's what it is to God. God wants us whole. He wants us healed. And so we've got to root that out, okay? We've got to rip that out. We've got to be willing to lay the axe to the root of that. And a lot of times it only happens when we come to face the reality. I have a... Well, I'm going to skip that. Okay. You can't do anything about the roots that are already there other than root them out, cut them out. There's no other way around it. If you're looking at that and you're saying, I have these feelings toward this person. I've discovered tonight that I'm bitter and I really don't know what to do. The only way to do it is just attack it with the word of God and with the root. And really, I would say a brother or a sister, a real brother or sister in Christ who's going to walk through it with you and be with you until you're done. Because it's a bloody process. And it doesn't happen like that. And I would just encourage you tonight to really let the Holy Spirit examine you because I believe that many of us are walking by those thorny bushes in our life and we're just clipping off the thorns. We're just clipping off the branches, but we'll never truly deal with it unless we go to the root. So that being said, let's talk really quickly. You have to lay the axe to the roots of the trees to deal with the bitterness that's there. But how do you prevent future bitterness? I was praying and I was asking the Lord one day, God, you know, you say here in the scripture that be careful lest any root of bitterness springing up defile many. So I said, God, where does the root of bitterness come from? Think about this. Just think about, you know, horticulture. A root doesn't just appear, does it? No root just appears like that. Where does it come from? Say it again. Say it again. Seed. The root starts with a seed. Now, I just want to bring your attention back to Hebrews 11, verse 15. Read 15 with me again. It says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, that is, fall away from this call, lest any root of bitterness. The message title tonight is the root of bitterness. But guess what? Any root of bitterness can come in. And here's how I want to break that down. Any seed can produce bitterness. I don't mean any seed. I mean there are seeds out there that are intended to produce bitter roots in your life. And I want to look at two tonight. We can't touch them all. 
But I want to look at two tonight because the scripture says, lest any root of bitterness. So I believe that there are seeds. Those roots begin with seeds. So for the bitterness we have right now, let's lay the axe to the roots of the tree. Let's lay the axe to the roots of the branch. But to prevent future bitterness, let's stop that seed from getting planted before it gets in there. The first seed I want to look at tonight is a seed of unforgiveness. So I asked the Lord, I said, God, where does a root of bitterness come from? And he brought me right back, and this is clearly what I heard, a seed of unforgiveness. Much of the resentment, or I'll touch that in a minute, but much of the unforgiveness, much of the bitter roots in our lives have come from unforgiveness. And it's very interesting the way that a seed works. In this life, obviously, you know that we have people and we have systems and we will be hurt and we will be failed by these peoples and systems. And the question is, what do we do with that hurt? What do we do with that pain? Because if I was to poll the room right now, every one of us could probably reveal somebody we're struggling with unforgiveness towards. But what does God want us to do with that? So instead of harboring the seed, we need to release it. So a seed comes into your life, somebody hurts you, somebody crushes you, they fail you, a system fails you, something that was supposed to protect you, fails you. What are you going to do? You know, there's that saying that goes, rather than get bitter, get better. And that moment that that pain pricks you, how do you plant a seed in the ground? You have to get the shovel and put a little hole in there. Or you've got to stick your finger and you've got to put, some, uh, put a hole in there. The same thing. The moment that poke comes up against you, the moment that shovel hits your heart, you've got to refuse to let that seed come in. Because that seed of unforgiveness will kill you. It will destroy you. We have to forgive Number one, because we have been forgiven. You know, we often refuse to forgive because we forget that we have been forgiven of much. We hold things against people because we forget that we have been forgiven of much. We have to forgive because Jesus paid it all for everyone. We have to forgive because we understand that we're all in process. So here's something I want to share with you tonight. In the body of Christ, you know, Jesus says, the disciples come and say, how many times should I forgive my brother for sinning against me? Should I forgive him seven times? In other words, that's my completion. You know, and Jesus says, no, not seven, but 70 times seven in a day. And the thing that we have to realize is that God's kingdom is built up on the power of his love. Not on fighting for oneself, not on looking for what's right for you, not on holding on to something that doesn't belong to you, but the power of his love. And when we look at each other, we have to realize, you know what? You hurt me. And maybe you hurt me unintentionally. But I have to forgive you if I'm going to move forward. Maybe you hurt me intentionally. And here's the thing. I would argue that even those who hurt us intentionally truly don't know what they're doing because the soldiers willingly mocked beat scourged and nailed jesus to the cross knowing what they were doing and yet he said father forgive them because they don't know what they're doing 
And you know what? You and I sometimes in working with one another, I want to look first at the body and then take what we learn and bring it over to your, to your family and to your workplace. But you and I in working with one another, sometimes we can step on each other's toes and we can forgive each other and move on. But what about the times when you're intentionally hurt? You have to look at that person and say, you know what? I forgive you. Because whether you realize it or not, you don't know what you've done. And I will forgive you because God has forgiven me. If we're truly following Christ, we must forgive. So the first, the first seed that we have to be careful to not let get into our lives is the seed of unforgiveness. The next seed I want to look at and the, and the final seed we'll look at tonight is a seed or an attitude of unfairness. You know, sometimes when we look and we see that somebody has gotten to a place that we thought we were supposed to get to, or we see something come to somebody that we expected, or you just live normal life and you see something happen, as we talked about, you get bitter when you hear that person's name and hearing that they're getting promoted or they're moving forward, when you see injustice and inequality and we say that's unfair, we have to be careful that that attitude and that sense of unfairness doesn't become a seed to produce resentment in our lives. And that's its whole goal. People who are out there fighting, listen, we need to stand for social injustice. We need to stand up against those things that are wrong, clearly, clearly wrong. But there is a generation that's living with an attitude of unfair right now. And what we don't realize is that that is producing a root of bitterness. A root of bitterness. And it's so subtle, it's hard to even see. But we have to stop at the seed. Just go ahead and bring up that image if you have it for me here. Obviously, this root hasn't come from just anywhere, but this is a, a kidney bean. And what's really interesting is that this is what you would put into the ground. And, you know, you don't see anything when it's down there. You, you stick your finger in or you just dig a hole and you put this kidney bean down there. But all of a sudden, with, with germination, with water and with soil... This taproot begins to appear. And if we're not careful, we've got to bring this back into what we're studying tonight, into a root of bitterness. We, we don't want to get to the place where the root is now going deep down into our heart and we're becoming poisoned. We need to stop it before the seed even goes in there. And the only way that we really can do that is to walk as Jesus walked. It's true, but it's difficult to do. We have to, live in unf- we have to live in forgiveness. We have to live in forgiveness towards one another and towards the people that hurt us because bitterness and resentment will spring up so easily. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart because above all things, guard your heart above all else for from it springs the issues of life. And so as we take stock, thank you for that image, if, as we take stock and look at our own lives tonight, as we take inventory and look at our lives, I just want you to kind of close your eyes right now, and I want you to just go back to that bitterness test. Is there something that you feel is unfair in your life? Something that you're watching happen before your eyes and you feel like it's unfair? You know, the Scripture's answer to that 
is in Colossians chapter 3. It says, no matter what you do, do it heartily unto the Lord, knowing that he is the rewarder. Do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to man, knowing that he will bring the reward of the inheritance. So if there's unfairness in your life, would you be willing to pluck out that seed before it takes root? Or would you be willing to lay the axe to the root of that tree tonight and say, I'm going to let this go? Maybe there's unforgiveness in your life. And it's so obvious because it's bubbling over and poisoning others around you. And in fact, people have called you on it and they've seen it. And you know where you are. I just want you to examine yourself. Is it a seed right now? Is there still time to rip it out before it takes root? Or do you need to lay the axe to the root of that tree tonight? And as the Holy Spirit reveals some things, and TJ, if you're willing, if you could come now and play, as the Holy Spirit reveals these things, wherever you may be, if you'd be so willing, I want you to pull out a piece of paper or pull out a note on your phone. And I want you to write down whatever that may be. It would really, really help if it was a piece of paper. But if not, you can use the notes on your phone. Is there, is, is there an attitude of unfairness in your life? Oh, yeah, well, it's never going to work for me because, you know, nothing ever works for me. Nothing works out. It's just the way it is. I have to fight. I've got to stand up for myself. I've got to make it happen. Life isn't fair. I've got to stand for me. Is there unforgiveness in your life? I can't stand that person. I can't believe what they did to me. I don't care if they're a Christian. I don't want to see them thrive. I want to see them suffer. Listen. It's okay. We all get there at one point of life or another. We have to be willing to face that. And if you're finding that there's something there, I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down. Either on your notes, on your phone, or on a piece of paper. right back because I'm going to get something. why I said preferably it would be great if it was a piece of paper. But you know, one of the things that we try to do is we actually try to push things away in life, things that hurt us and things we don't want to deal with, and we just say, okay, I'm just going to push them away, and we never actually deal with them. But we have to face them, and we have to deal with them. And Jesus, the Scripture didn't tell us to forget about our cares. What does the Scripture say? From Proverbs and Psalms all the way to First Peter, it says, cast your care upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And you know what? As painful as that memory may be, especially with unforgiveness, I want to park there for one second and just talk a little bit about this. It's often said that we forgive until we forget, but you know how difficult that is as well as I do. And so you know what we have to do is every time that situation is replayed in your mind, you have to say, I forgive you. You have to release the power of that over you. I forgive you. 
every time, but the thought comes back, the feelings rise up, I forgive you. Why? Because Jesus forgave me. Because God in Christ forgave me. But it's just not fair. I release it. Because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so I want to say this to you tonight. If you have a piece of paper, if you could write it down, because as we play this song tonight, I want to give you a chance. And I assure you, I will throw these bags out before we leave tonight. So whatever it is that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you, it doesn't matter to us. But sometimes we have to take an act. Let that be your acts tonight, coming down to the altar and placing it in the trash. And if it's unforgiveness, I forgive you. And if it's unfairness, I release it and let it go. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be over tonight. It doesn't mean the feelings are going to be gone tonight. But you have a pivotal moment that you can look back on and say, I have released that care to God. I have forgiven that person and I'm not going back. I've laid the axe to that root and I'm not going back. We're going to sing this song. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as they come, I want to sing this song and I want you to begin. If we could just stand, stand in this room. And you know what? If you wrote it down on your phone.